Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the weekly sermon with Pastor Stephen. This week, he looks at Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13, and it's titled, Universal Spiritual Conditions. If you have a Bible today, please take it and open to the book of Romans. If you've been here for any amount of time, it ought to just naturally fall open there. Chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, then we would encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center today and let us give you a Bible, okay? But we're in Romans 7, and our text is going to be, it's going to be verses 7 through 13. And if you're new here, we're right in the middle of a series entitled, A Life Transformation, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. And in this study, he's been talking a lot about the law. The law. We would, we would know the law as the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots and the Ten Commandments and, you know, even all the different laws that we would equate with the Old Testament. But he's been talking about the law. Uh, now, we're just kind of getting into chapter 7, only a few verses that we've studied And uh, I would tell you that he's going to lighten up on the law. But in chapter 7, 28 times, he mentions the law. And I know that when we hear the word law, we're like, oh, I get tired of the law. The law is the enemy. The law is something that I can't do. The law, I just, I hate the law. Well, the problem's not with the law. There's an old uh, Chinese proverb that goes this way. Well, I don't want to mess this up. (laughs) To an ugly man, every mirror is an enemy. Right? Uh, Maybe you can identify with that. To an ugly man, every mirror is an enemy. Now, nothing wrong with the mirror. It's the man. Nothing wrong with the law. Matter of fact, the law is a mirror, right? The law we look in and the law, it reveals who we really are. So the law is like, hey, here's every blemish you've got. Here's where you're flawed. Here are the stains of not being able to keep the law. So please hear me. The law, that's not the problem. It is is us. We're the problem. We look in the law and we see we cannot live up to God's standards. So with that being said, today we're going to look at universal spiritual conditions. Let's look at the passage. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For, uh, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me. And and by 
It killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Has has then what is good become death to me? Well, certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. That's a mouthful, isn't it? I told you he wasn't through with the law. Get used to it. Today I want us to look, based on what it says here, at three universal spiritual conditions. Now, every one of us will fall in one of these three spiritual conditions. Now, I would even say this. 99.9% of us in this room will fall in one of two of these spiritual conditions. But they're universal. They apply to all people at all times, regardless of the situation, okay? What are these three universal spiritual conditions? Condition number one, safe until accountable. Safe until accountable. Matter of fact, look back in verse 9. He says in verse 9, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment, he's talking about the law, when the law came, in other words, when I received the law, when I understood the law, sin revived and I died. Usually when you study this passage of Scripture, there's a question that comes about. What happens to, what happens to infants and newborns and babies when they die? Now, here's what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe that they're held safely in the arms of Jesus. I believe the moment, the moment that they leave this flesh, their souls go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And a good majority of what I believe is based on right here. I'm so thankful that in almost 30 years of ministry, it's crazy, 30 years, on several occasions I've been able to, while speaking to parents who've had a, an infant die, I've been able to say, listen, I want you to know, they're safe with Jesus. And the reason why I felt as though confidently, or, or, or yeah, confidently I could say that is because They had yet to deal with the accountability that comes from sin being revived in them. Now, when I say they're safe, understand I don't mean that they are innocent. I don't mean that they don't sin. A couple of things that we need to kind of keep in mind when it comes to the sin that we're talking about, and it seems as though the first, uh, the first characteristic or the first thing that we keep in mind is something that we've talked about pretty regular. Uh, I even thought when, you know, Pastor Johnny was here last week, well, at least Johnny's going to give him a little break from talking about sin, but yet even he brought this very truth up, that we all are born with a sin nature. Every single one of us are born with a sin nature. Every single one of us is a sinner from the very start. How do we know that? The Bible says it over and over. I'll give you a passage of Scripture. Psalm 58, verse 3. 58.3 says this, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born. 
speaking lies. So our kids are born with a sin nature. We don't have a problem with that, but some of you are going to struggle with this one. Your grandkids are born with a sin nature. Yeah. Just like we are. So it's something that we all struggle with. It's a part of our nature. We know that we inherited that from Adam. I heard somebody recently just, they were telling this story I overheard. They were talking about, they have a four-year-old daughter, just beautiful, beautiful little girl, four-year-old daughter, and they said that the other day, is how the story went, uh, their daughter was doing something and she was getting really frustrated, and then lo and behold, this beautiful four-year-old daughter let an expletive come out of her mouth. She cursed, and the mom was appalled. And so the mom's like, where, where did you hear that? We don't speak that way. Who taught you to talk like that? And her little four-year-old daughter said this, nobody taught me to talk like that. I teached myself. I teached myself. That's true, right? We're all born with a sin nature. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to grab those toys and to say, mine. You have to teach them don't do those things because we're all born sinners. Now, before we get too tough on the kids, because most of them are over there, we're in here, let's talk about ourselves. Let's talk about adults. Aren't you glad we don't have to deal with that sin nature anymore? There was a sociological experiment that was conducted a few years ago. And here's what they did. They went into a park in a large city and they, you know, they painted all the benches in this park. And on the benches, they put signs that said, wet paint, do not touch. And then they set up surveillance cameras. 82% of the people. 82% of the people. Walked up, looked at the bench, read the sign, touched it with their fingers. <laughs> I started to do that today. You put a bench out there right outside the parking lot, do the same thing just to see how it would go here. And then I thought, well, man, we'll have paint all throughout this building. Uh, let's not do so. So it's not just something that applies to, to the children's nature, but it applies to all of our nature. We're sinners. But these little children, when they sin, they are safe because the law has not yet become alive for them. But let's move on to the second one. Not only are we born with a sin nature, we become accountable when we choose to sin. And we know that we're choosing to sin. That's what he means when he says the law revives. When it's right, when we know it's right or wrong. Look what he says in verse 9. He says there in verse 9, sin revives and then what happens? That person dies spiritually. So I have folks that will ask me, so pastor, what is the age of accountability? I was raised in church my whole life. Baptist church, my whole, I heard my whole life about the age of accountability. Can I just stop and say nowhere in Scripture will you find the phrase, the age of accountability. But that is birthed out of these verses right here. There is no magical age of accountability. When I was growing up, they would say something like this. Well, 13 is the age of accountability. Listen to me, friend. If you believe that your child is not accountable to their, for their sins until the age of 13, I've got some beautiful, beautiful lakefront property that I would like to sell you today. 
and I don't own any. No. There's no way to sit there and say that there is a uh, generic universal age that we begin, we become being accountable for our sin. There's no just biological age right there. It is. It difference, it's different in every one because we're all spiritually different. We're emotionally different. But there is a time that happens in our lives when we know right from wrong and we choose to do wrong. And we are now accountable for our own sin. Let me give you an example. I play golf. I would say I like to play golf. But that's determined on how well I'm playing golf. I'm not a very good golfer. So I hate golf. But I play golf. And uh, I don't know the rules, or I didn't know the rules to golf. and been playing for a while, and usually here's what would happen. I would tee off and, you know, drive the ball. And, you know, every now and then, most of the time, it would go out of bounds, it would go into the woods, and uh, if I could not find the ball, in which, you know, the way I determine whether it's a good day golfing or not is, if I can finish with at least one ball left in my bag, that's a good day. If I couldn't find the ball, then here's what I would do. I would reach into the bag, I would take my, uh, another ball out, I would drop it right where the ball went out of bounds, uh, add 20 feet, drop it, and I would say, okay, I hit number one off the tee. I'm dropping right here. This is number two. I'm hitting number three. That's how I did it. Well, about a year ago, I was invited to play at Arnold Palmer's course in Orlando, Bay Hill. And the rules of that course is you have to have a caddy. And so our little grouping had a caddy and I, I come up on the tee box and I drive the ball like I normally do and lo and behold, it goes out of bounds and, you know, it, it goes way out of bounds. And so I can't find the ball, the caddy can't find the ball, the other three in our foursome cannot find the ball. And so I do what I normally do. Reach into my bag, look around, drop the ball, and I'm like, I'm hitting number three. And the caddy said, whoa, 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 you're breaking the rules. You, you, you don't hit the ball right there. He said, no, you've got to bring the ball back to the tee and tee off again. That would be number three. The rules state that you are penalized a stroke and the distance. He said, if you were playing in a sanctioned tournament right now, you would have just been disqualified. And I'm like, well, thank the Lord we're not. <laughs> he said, but those are the rules. If you do anything else, you're cheating and you're breaking the rules. Well, so now I've got a big dilemma. <laughs> I know the rules now. And so now when I tee off and that ball goes over into the woods and I can't find that ball, all of a sudden I have a huge decision. Am I going to drop the ball like I normally do and say I'm hitting number three? Or am I going to keep the rules and go back to the tee box and tee off again, fully knowing where the ball's going to go? 
See, I know the rules, right? Uh, I've been educated. I understand what is happening there. So I'm faced with that. Now it's even more of breaking the rules. Why? Because I am now willingly breaking the rules. And that's the difference. That's the difference. And an infant and a toddler may sin and they don't know the rules, but the time comes when they know the difference between right and wrong and they become guilty for their own sin. That there is a time in the life of every child where their conscience is activated and they understand this innate sense of right and wrong and they say, I know this is wrong, but you know what? I'm still choosing to do it anyway. And we're not just talking about children, we're talking about all of us. If you understand what I'm saying today, you're accountable. You and I are accountable. So the first spiritual condition is safe until accountable, but let's get to the second one. Spiritually dead in my sin. I'm dead spiritually in my sin. Matter of fact, look in verse 9. This is where he says that in verse 9. He says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I did what? I died. Spiritually, he says, I was was dead before I came to Christ. And that is true of all of us. Before we come to Christ, we are dead spiritually. Romans 7 talks about it. Verse 7, look, look at what it says. It says, I would not have known sin except through the law. The law reveals what sin is. You say, well, what is sin like? Well, he goes on to mention several things about sin. First of all, sin deceives your mind. Look look in verse 11 again. He says in verse 11, for sin taking occasion by the commandment did what? It deceived me. It deceived me. Sin loves to disguise itself by presenting itself as something other than sin. Sin tries to make itself look beautiful. And sin, listen to me, sin will lie to you all of your life. And I'm not just talking this morning about people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, as long as you're in the flesh, sin will always, always try to deceive you. It'll always lie to you about what the outcome of sin is, but I'm telling you, it is terrible. At first look, sin always looks beautiful. And in my ministry, I've, I've, seen, I've seen stuff like this happen over and over and over again. There'll be a husband and a wife, and they'll be, they'll be having difficulties in their marriage. And they'll say, you know what, we believe, it's, we believe we should separate for a little while so that we can work on ourselves. We believe that we should separate. And they're both committed to the marriage. They want to see the marriage work. And they'll separate, and, and here's what will happen in some cases. In the case of the, uh, of the man, all of a sudden, uh, there's some attractive female that starts paying attention to him. Do you think that's by accident? No. Do you think that's just a coincidence? 
No, friend, it's the devil himself. On the front end, it looks pretty, but I'm telling you, the end result is terrible. Or it'll go something like this. In the life of the wife, the devil will bring some man into her life that pays attention to her. He sits down. He listens to every single word that she says. I mean, after all, her husband has the personality of a speed bump. And this guy's hanging on every word. And she's like, wow, where have you been all my life? I'm just saying, friend, it's no accident. Sin is the great deceiver. Sin deceives your mind. But let me tell you the second thing about sin. Sin dirties your heart. That's the reason why over in Psalm 51, after David had committed adultery, he committed murder, he covered it all up. Here's the prayer that he prayed. He, after he had, he had been uh, confronted with his sin, he repented of his sin. Here's his prayer. God create in me a clean what? Heart. A clean heart, oh God. Think of it this way. You've been out working in the yard and, you know, doing things and getting things ready. Uh, uh, j- just the other day, uh, my 13-year-old son and I, you know, he's like, man, we got to put up some Christmas lights. Let's do Christmas lights. And I'm like, well, I mean, what do we have to do? Christmas lights. It's just the day after Thanksgiving. We never do lights this early. Well, here's what happened. We were bullied into it. <laughs> Peer pressure. A couple years ago, we had, a, we had a new guy move in our neighborhood. And I'm telling you, two months ago, he had all his Christmas lights lit up his whole backyard. His backyard does not even face the street that I live on, and you can see the illumination from my house. And so now I'm looking around the neighborhood. We never decorated that early. And now everybody else is like, oh man, the new guy, he did it. So we got to do it. And they're doing it earlier and earlier. earlier. I got some neighbors that don't have the time to do it. They pay professional decorators to hang their lights. All out of peer pressure. And you know, one day I'm just sitting there. I'm like, Lord, I'm going to go talk to this guy and tell him how he's ruined everything. And I just sense the Lord say, you know what, Stephen? Show Wayne grace. (laughs) Show him grace. So we're out there, and we're hanging lights. And we're sitting there, and, oh, man, I'm hungry. And so go in the house and look down, and how do you get your hands so dirty from hanging lights? And there's dirt all over my hand, and... You know, he comes in, he's going to get something. I'm like, whoa, 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 hey, we've got to wash our hands. There's something, you know, you're not going to walk in. You've been working in the yard. You've got dirt all over your hands. You're like, you're like man, I'm going to wash my hands. I mean, there's something, this is, this is not right. I want, to, I want to do I know some of you are so far gone, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Normal people, I, I want to clean my hands, right? Well, listen, what dirt is to your hands, that's what sin is to your heart. That's kind of what's happening right here. He is saying, understand something is not right. Sin is doing this to my heart. It's soiling my soul. I have this sense of being defiled. And when we sin, hear me, the consequences of sin, they affect the guilty and the innocent alike. 
It's the reason why heaven's going to be so great. There's going to be the absence of the curse. There'll be no sin in heaven. But sin, once we make that choice, once we do that, then all of a sudden it just dirties everything. And we sit there and we're like, oh my goodness, look at what has happened. I didn't even realize that this was going to take place. This has gotten way out of hand. But yet scripture helps us understand that in reality, who have we sinned against? God. David, when he prayed, he said, against you and you alone, God. Have I sinned? The consequences of sin regarding the position of an individual, well, they can be much greater. I'll give you an example. Let's just say we got, we got Jay right here. Jay right on the front row. I'll, just, I'll pick on you, Jay. You're right on the front row. Jay Nunez. I like to call him Javier. That's not his name, but I call him that anyway. <laughs> Let's just say this morning, Jay says something to me after the service that I don't like too well, and I just walk up and pop him right in the mouth. Now, one of two things is going to happen. Either he's going to pop me back, or he's going to say, Pastor, what are you doing? But Jay's just an average citizen. I don't mean that bad, Jay. You're You're great. You felt the pressure about the lights too. He lives on my street. But then let's just say that as I'm driving home today, I'm still mad about what Jay said. And I get pulled over by a highway patrol. The highway patrol walks up to the car and I roll down the window and I just haul off and pop him in the mouth. Uh Uh-oh. Consequence is going to be a little bit different than popping Jay in the mouth. But let's just say that I'm heading over to Tallahassee to hear the governor speak. Now, I, I want to make this very clear. I would never do this. In case Secret Service might be watching this, would never do this. But let's just say something... Let's say the governor says something, and it reminds me of what Jay said, and I just haul off and pop him in the mouth. Uh, I, I didn't know God had called me to a jail ministry, but you know, that's a hard way to start one, but who knows. The consequences of sin are different depending on who we committed against. And I'm here to tell you today, There is not one any greater than God himself. And he says right here that sin, it dirties us in God's sight and it's against God. Let me give you the third one. It devastates your life. Verse 11, look at what it says. Sin killed me. Verse 13, look at what it says. Sin produced death in me. When we're first exposed to sin, here's what we think. Just a little bit's not going to hurt me. Just a little bit's not going to affect me. And then it just spirals out of control, right? Right? 
And I'm not picking on one, but I'll go ahead and say this. There's a lot of sin that we could choose. I hate smoking. And the reason why I hate smoking is because I love smokers. Does that make sense? There are some people that I dearly love that are no longer here because of smoking. Never once when they lit up did I hear them say, you know what, this, this, this is probably going to kill me. It's probably going to take my life. But what happened is I saw them as a result of cancer. I saw their bodies break down. I was there next to their beds as they took their last breath. And what started out is something small, innocent. It killed them. And that's the reason why when I look around, I see some young people today and they're, 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 they're smoking. I don't know, why, why would they do that? They think it makes them look, I don't know, older or cool. But I mean, you know, that, it's been refined today. Thank God we're not doing cigarettes. Oh, now we're doing the safer e-cigarettes and jewels and those big old lunch boxes you wear around your neck. Because that's safe. And every time I see that, I'm like, you nimrods. What are you thinking? What do you think? You see what happens there? You see how sin just, it explodes and it devastates your life. He says there sin produced death in me. Up front when it comes to sin, all you see is the bait. You don't see the hook that's underneath the surface. Up front, all you see is the mesmerizing motion of the serpent. But what you don't see are the fangs in its mouth. Up front, all you see is the beautiful light of the fuse that is fizzling there. And you don't stop and think about the explosion that is coming. Sin always devastates. And Paul's saying, listen, guys, the reason why God gave us the law is not thinking that we would indeed keep the law. He is pretty smart. He knew we would not be able to keep the law. He gave us the law so that we would know we are sinners. We can't save ourselves. So that we would know this is right, this is wrong. You ever walked into your house before and you smell that rotten egg smell? What comes to your mind? Natural gas. I got a natural gas leak. Did you know that natural gas is odorless? Several years back, our government, because natural gas was so disastrous, our government said, you know what, we're going to add an odor to this so everybody knows when they smell that, uh-oh, natural gas. And so they added that rotten egg smell. So when you smell that and you know what natural gas is, you're like, oh, man, we might have a leak. This could be a problem. This could be dangerous here. Well, friend, listen to me. That's exactly what God is doing. He's saying sin is so deadly and I love you so much that I'm not going to let you go through life without knowing how the, that this is sin and how deadly it is. And so kind of what that rotten egg odor is to sin, that's what the law, that's what the law that's what the law is. So some people spiritually dead, controlled by sin. That's bad. That's not hopeless, though, because here's the third spiritual condition. Saved from sin's condemnation. It's not in this passage, but look in chapter 8, verse 1. 
It's going to sound familiar to some of you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're hearing me, you're understanding what I'm saying. Don't worry about the first category. You're either in the second or the third. Either spiritually I'm dead right now in my sin or I've been saved from the condemnation of my sin. There's no in-between one of the other. Friend, if you're here today and you're sitting there and you're trying to talk and convince yourself to be in the third category because you're afraid you're in the second category, man, there needs to be a conversation with someone. Saved. That means this. Here's the law. The law reveals to me what sin is. The law reminds me I'm a sinner. I was born this way and I know the rules and I choose to do the sin and the consequences are unbelievable. But what are the consequences? Ultimately, sinning against God or what? Eternal separation in a place called hell. And please hear my heart, guys. People in hell right now, they're not worried about whether a Republican or a Democrat are in D.C. Oh, to God. Oh, to God that we would get as concerned about people's souls as we are about legislation and campaigns and who's running in the next election. Maybe I'm the only one that feels this way, but it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that there are people that will get so bound up in the things of this world that they forget they were never created to be exhausted on this world. And the only way is to be saved from sins, condemnation. How does that happen? I'll just tell you how I was taught. It's real simple. Simple as ABCs. A, I got to admit that I'm a sinner. I admit it. Struggle with sin. As long as I'm in the flesh, I'm going to struggle with sin. I got to admit that I am a sinner. Now, here's the deal. There's never been a time in my life that I can remember where I was safe. Because there's never a time in my life where I remember that I was not accountable. And I was saved at the age of nine, almost the age of 10. So you stop and look. I mean, what I do wrong? I mean, I can remember I, uh, I stole some grapes while we were walking through Piggly Wiggly one day and ate them while we were walking around. By the way, that, that's stealing. I can remember stealing a pack of gum from the gas station. I was in there with my dad. Uh, my dad, I can remember saying, Dad, can I have, the, it was grape hubba bubba. Dad, can I have the gum? And he said, no, you're not getting any gum. And we, okay, we get in the car. I'm sitting in the back. He turns around. I've got hubba bubba wrappers all in my lap and everywhere. And I'm chewing gum. And he says, where'd you get that gum? I took it. And you know what he did? And it completely ruined me for life. He turned the car around and said, we're going to go back and you're going to tell him you just stole it. Completely squelched me. A shell of the person I would have been. And I can remember as a five-year-old walking back in that gas station. I'm sorry. I stole your gum. 
I'm going to pay you for it. And then I'm going to work it off when I get home. You're like a five-year-old. That's crazy. I can tell you this, never stole again. I knew it was wrong when I did it. So for me, even at the age of five, I was dead in my sin. I got to admit that I'm a sinner. The B, believe that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price and took the penalty for my sin. That's so wonderful. One of the best one-verse descriptions of salvation is in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to what it says, a great summary. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, it's talking about Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's Jesus. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. And here am I, and I am sinful, and I'm disobedient, and I'm unholy. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it says he took all of my sins that I committed upon himself. And the other side of the transaction is even better. It says that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does the righteousness of God mean? It means I am now in right standing with God. So here I am, a sinner. The law reveals to me like a mirror. You are stained. You are faulty. You can never be what you need to be. And so as a result of that, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He takes what he did not deserve on himself and he says, I'll make a trade with you, I'll give you righteousness, which means right standing with God. And so, hear me, even in my sinful state still, righteousness is a position. It means that when God looks at me, he sees no sin to condemn me for, to punish me for. Because it was all taken care of by Jesus on the cross. So I got to admit, I can't live a good enough life. I got to believe Jesus is the only hope. He paid the price for my sin. I put my trust in him. Here's the third one. I confess that Jesus is Lord. How do you do that? Publicly, you confess Jesus is my Lord. You saw it this morning in this service, this, this, this teenage uh, young lady who, when Robbie said, who is the Lord of your life? She said, Jesus Christ. And you heard what Robbie say, based upon that confession, that profession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I can welcome you into the family of God as my sister. Baptism is that public confession. Last week, we had several folks who came forward in the invitation and we said, listen, let's go ahead. We'll baptize you right here on the spot. Let's get it taken care of. And there were a lot of folks that came and said this. They said, you know what? I was baptized as a child, but I, I trusted Jesus later in my life. And I all I did the first time is just get wet. I wasn't showing the picture, the symbol of a life that has been transformed, has been changed, right? By Jesus Christ. And I want to get that right. Half of the folks that came actually said this, I've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. I need to be saved. We had three folks in their 80s. In their 80s. That said, I need to get this right. And they confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I'm just saying this. There's no such thing as a undercover, secret agent Christian. No, 
you always want to let others know that you're a follower of Christ and you can't save yourself. So that's really it in a nutshell. I can't save myself. I can't. You've got to come to the point where you quit trying to save yourself. I heard a story, true story. There was a lake over in China, and there was a group of folks that were at this lake, and they were kind of wading in the water. None of them could swim. One guy ventured a little too far away, and he accidentally fell in a huge hole. The water was over his head. He was going to drown. Again, nobody in the group could swim. They started screaming, cries of help, please somebody help, please somebody help. There was a farmer not too far away who heard their cries and he went over to them. And they said, sir, can you swim? He said, yeah, I can swim. Would you please save our friend? He's drowning. And the farmer just stood there with his arms crossed. The guy went under, he came up a second time. He's gasping for air, he's reaching for help and the farmer just standing there and everybody's like, please, sir, please, sir, you know how to swim, he needs your help. Please save him. The farmer just stood there with his arms crossed. The third time the guy came up, you could tell he had already taken on water. Within a matter of seconds, he was going to drown and die. The farmer jumps into the water and he grabs the guy and he brings him out. He resuscitates him, brings him back to life. You would think everybody would applaud, praise him. Yay, thank you. Here's what they said. You're the biggest coward we know. You almost let him drown. Here you are, you know how to swim. None of us know how to swim. You stood there with your arms crossed and you almost let him drown. Please don't miss this. Here's what the farmer said. He said, I know how to swim. I just don't know how to swim that well. He said, but I realized that if I tried to save him before he was through trying to save himself, we probably both would drown. So I couldn't help him until he came to the point to where he quit trying to save himself. And that's when I rescued him. You can be rescued today when you come to the point and you quit trying to rescue yourself. There's no way that you can bring that about. Admit you're a sinner. Believe Jesus is the only hope I have. Confess, I give my life to you. And then you receive. Not the standing based on who you are. Mm. Not the standing based on who you are. The standing based on who Christ is. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www. Dot Highland and it's H I L A N D Park.org. 
There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.